Welcome to another episode of Dish Dream. My name is Kirk from Walrus Carp, and tonight we are going on to our part three of the Phantom Manor over in Disneyland Paris series. Uh, so we have focused right now uh, on the concept, gotten all the way through the storyline of Melanie uh, and the Phantom, uh, all the way until we are now about to enter the portion of the attraction, uh, which is known as Phantom Canyon, which is a uh, basically a town that we're going to explore post-earthquake, earth-shattering, and there's lots of spooky things going on. And with me to dive into this underworld of spirited spirits is the well-researched, amazing theme park historian and author extraordinary, Kate the Disney Cicerone. Kate, how are we doing this evening? I'm, I'm doing good. Um, I'm pretty sure this might be part four. I don't know for this sure. This is part four. <laughs> I was like, wait, is it three? Is it I four? Don't know. I don't know. If this is it, four. It's our last part of the first. It's Manor. the last part. The final, Welcome final to part. the last part of the Phantom Manor. <laughs> um, no, but I'm doing really good. It's been really fun to research this part in particular because um, we were in the catacombs. We went, we got out of the boudoir, which was like the equivalent to the attic if you're used to the U.S. parks. <laughs> Kirk did a lot of peeking through his fingers. I didn't want to. I had to. For research sake, I had to. There's a little bit of stuff like that tonight, too. So we'll just, you know, we'll keep it family friendly. I got the the hands ready. Um, But then we went out of of the boudoir. We we saw the Phantom. And then we went into the catacombs. And now we're going to head into the Phantom Canyon, which Jeff Burke called the Netherworld. So it's another way to think of it which is uh, is pretty interesting. And I'm guessing the way that we're going to move through this, Kirk, is kind of like piece by piece. We're just going to inch along as we Yeah, go. yeah, because it's yeah. it's the way that I've watched POVs of it. It like jumps from side to side. So it's not exactly uh, a scene necessarily, but it's one continuous storyline that's arcing through as we go through this town. So I think we just look at kind of like building by building or person group by person group is probably the best way to effectively go through the town. Yeah, that sounds great. So um, I will say that we're going to, as we go through here, we're going to interject some pieces of the mining town that was called Dry Gulch that was from Western River Expedition that a lot of this draws from, which was the uh, lost attraction that was going to be in the Thunder Mesa that would have been in Walt Disney World. And uh, that doesn't never ended up existing. um, So they borrowed pieces of it and put it in. Phantom Manor. What was the uh, name of the owl from that? It was like Hootie McHooterton. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Hoot oh, Gibson. Hoot Gibson. I love that. That's like such a great character. Bring Hoot Gibson back. Yeah. Hoot Gibson was a little owl who, uh, he was in the preview center in Walt Disney World for a while. Yeah. And he was like narrating like what this uh, attraction would be. And um, that's all we got of it was, was him and a giant model. And then the attraction was too expensive, especially because they added Pirates of the Caribbean so we never got Western River Expedition, much to Mark Davis's chagrin. Uh, mm. Very huge disappointment to him. Even he said to his wife, Alice, there's quotes from her as well, saying how sad and disappointed he was that that attraction never happened. So the Pirates of the Caribbean of the Old West, if you will, was something we never got. But we did get pieces of it here. So Yeah, which is nice. I, and, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, Jeff and uh, the other members of the team kind of play a lot on the homage and concept art from from that gets integrated especially some of the uh the special effects yeah for sure and i you know before we get 
into uh, any piece of it, I, I do want to kind of just we're going to introduce, I think, concept art from this all the way through. But I want to just point out that a lot of the um, color work that you'll see in this is largely inspired by some of the color work Mar Mary Blair did for Western River Expedition, which we did talk about in that episode that we did about that. But um, so just to give you a little bit of context, she had this kind of like sunset homage where it was all reds and oranges at the you know at the top of the scene and then it, it faded into more of a twilight greens and blues and then the houses were all lit up and uh, brightly colored so just keep that in mind as you as we go through this section and that a lot of the color um, that you see is also part Mary Blair so it's not just Mark Davis there's also Mary Blair in there as well I know that makes you very happy it does. <laughs> it does. It so does. Um, I do have like an overview concept of this area, which I don't want to get into all the little pieces of it, but I do want to show what we're headed into, which is this uh, this idea of this being this underworld of this old west town that got damaged in the earthquake. So it has like giant cracks and crevices in it. Yeah. Do you see those giant, for those that are auditory just only... Uh, there's giant red, almost flames. Like think of like Journey to the Center of the Earth, kind of like a tectonic plate crack fissure lightning bolt through the center of the town that rifts it kind of across. It, it almost has a uh, a volcanic look to it, even though it is uh, representing an earthquake fault line. Yeah, and it, there is. Um, we'll see as we go through. There's Big Thunder Mountain is kind of in the distance as well, so it's almost like you're outside in the it's almost like the upside down if you're if you're a fan of um stranger things and you think of like the upside down as like the world like it is up there except it's uh, it's like the haunted world so that's why they call it yeah, the okay world, i think that's you know? fair but you know yeah. i think this is again one of the really unique features that we have to really harp on for folks in the haunted mansion you're just outside of the mansion and i guess that would be liberty square and walt disney world uh, and so I, I think about this in the connection, though, with another attraction, which doesn't exist in any of the other mansions. So I love the fact that we actually do get Big Thunder Mountain even in one of the 2D standups uh, in one of those earlier scenes, too, which I, I think is kind of cool. Like, again, we're reconnecting to the outside world, which is actually really nice in today's dates. And we're going back to the 1800s when this earthquake happens where it's all broken dismantled and really strange. yeah yeah and that's why we also see like tree roots that are coming down and the concept art and things like that it's just like it's this weird concept that it's underground but it's not just underground under this house because you see elements of the town there so um that's a, a really really great segue to what kirk is showing you there do you want to point out what they're looking at yeah so what we're just to what kate was talking about there's Physically, structure and building-wise, the underside of uh, the roots of a giant tree, which I'm going to make a fair uh, guesstimate that that is probably the oak that's mm -hmm. above us. And it's reaching out to, on the bottom, you can see the track for the doom buggy uh, moving to the right of City Hall and Ghost Town. We also see the first time of some figures that are inhabiting this town with a mayor who's holding the key to the city. And also on the baseline on this pathway that the dune buggy takes uh, are those fissured cracks from the earthquake as well. And then to Kate's point earlier about that color work, 
We still see that kind of here in particularly when I look to the right on that sunset with those deep purples and magentas and almost light pinks for our, our sunscape, uh, sunset landscape a la Mary Blair. Yeah. And I'm, you know, looking back at this first concept that we showed as well, you see the tree roots are there as well for that oak. So mm -hmm. we talked about this in our previous episode, how the oak really seems to be symbolic in this attraction that it stands for, you know, it's a little bit ominous and power and strength and struggle. Like it's like all these things. So um, it's really interesting that it's so prevalent in that concept art, but it's not necessarily something you like notice when you're going through it you do notice there's trees but not necessarily to this extent they're like oh these roots are reaching for me like you don't get that quite as much zero that turned out i don't zero. get i don't get any of the watching povs online of this attraction i don't get any of the significance of the tree at all like none zero. yeah it's not not even a factor it's there it exists it's not a focal point and i think the biggest part of it is the lighting that they elect to use in that first first section. No, I agree. So when you're going on the attraction, one of the first things you see in this area is you're pointed at this like ghost train area. Essentially, there was going to be uh, this ghost train, which is a steam locomotive that was bursting through a tunnel and then pretending to charge towards guests, kind of like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, if you've ever been on that and how it looks like there's a train coming towards you. Um, and then it would combined with light, sound and smoke effects. So it would have been like a, a train's coming towards you. And then they would have had an audio animatronic of a railroad worker, which is what Kirk is showing you there with a lantern that would have stood nearby, which was kind of the equivalent of the Haunted Mansion's caretaker. If you, like, instead of the Phantom, which we have now, uh, this would have been more of, like, the caretaker um, vibe from this guy. As soon as we enter to this outside space, we run into uh, the Phantom on the right-hand side. And this is later on where we see this, this uh, segue into the town because we immediately exit the boudoir we head outside. That's where we see the the bust as well, and all of those skeletons that remind me so much of the beginning of Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean. And then we enter into the town where it's almost like a second caretaker or second opening, you know, because this is a whole separate element. Yeah, it's it's a really good introduction to the scene because if you think about it in terms of the Wild West, right? Like you're. If you're going to a Western town, you're probably getting there by train or by like stagecoach, right? Those are the two ways you're going to arrive. Tesla's. We did. Where can I plug in? <laughs> well, we did see, right, the hearse right before that, which mm -hmm. was in our previous episode. We saw a hearse. So that was one way you could get to town or the other way would be a train. So this is you arriving in Phantom Canyon by train. So it was easy to calculate horsepower back then. You just counted how many you had. So, a lot easier. <laughs> so this is the what more like what we actually do have for the ghost train, uh, which includes an an animatronic ticket master who's giving you tickets to the underworld. Um, and uh, the ghost would peel off the train as it went by, and they're spirited passengers, so to speak. And then the pulse of the train would have been added to the music soundtrack as well. But today, really only like the rising ghosts remain. And then they do have that audio animatronic uh, Ticketmaster. Yeah. He's, he's there as well. He has the at? same, he has, well, he has the same face as Ezra. 
Oh yeah, they, yeah, they use yeah. The same mold as Ezra. Yeah, so there's the haunted a, mansion. There's it's really interesting. Uh, I went on a rabbit hole of this about that. Okay. Head, uh, okay. Last week. <laughs> I just, yeah. Okay. I I like to look up heads in my spare time. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I'm not on any watch lists or anything. But this this is important. This is important. We've talked about it in the past how when uh, Blaine Gibson or any of the other sculptors, they wanted to save time, they would reuse uh, molds because why why do it when you can when you can reshape either the clothing, the hats, the wigs, and, and reuse characters happens all throughout. We see Beacon Joe in every attraction, you know, like know. Beacon Joe is literally multiple in, times. In the oh, my gosh, he's, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. So uh, this one is called the Leering Head Mold. So the Leering Headbolt is also really famous for another very famous ghost. And that would be the one and only grand reveal of the Hatbox Ghost. So the Hatbox Ghost shares the same head as the Leering Head Mold, which shares the same mold as the Ticket Taker, which I think is really cool. Even within uh, the attraction itself, we see uh, pop-up ghosts that happen in the Walt Disney World version. In the Walt Disney World version, uh, some of those pop-up ghosts use that same head too. So this head gets used all the time. In, in fact, we also see it in the door-knocking hallway where it's uh, part of the portraits as well. I don't know if I have any of the portrait pictures in here. I have a really good uh, picture with lighting for him again of the ticket taker and this one this one also shows what's in his hands a little bit so yeah and i'm so i'm showing what the coloring is like with the lighting work so there's the, the light is green and the depot's lit blue and that's really important that we kind of pay attention to the colors here because they're you know part of all of that mary blair influence and also uh creating atmosphere as well with the lighting mm -hmm. so tell us about <laughs> your your guy there who is that <laughs> it's the same guy <laughs> he looks it's so the same different. guy. You're just looking at him at a different angle. Like, imagine <laughs> if we took your your uh, photo and went to the left. Oh yeah, so yeah, I see the, it now. The big thing is in his right hand. You can see him holding tickets, and there's also dollar bills. Now, why is it significant that we can see the tickets? Every single one of these train tickets is a one way ticket, which I think is kind of cool. That is cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice that. That's yeah, really I, fun. Another thing that's really weird about this head, which you don't notice right off the bat. Uh, do you notice anything looking at it, Kate? Is there anything weird about the eyes specifically? One looks like he's more squinty than the other. Right, right. One's <laughs> way bigger than the other. And I don't know why they did that, but the right eye is, well, when, from our perspective, but it would be technically his left eye. The left eye is huge and the right eye is small, but it's, I, I don't know. It's a strange feature that now I can never not see it. Like, Do all versions like, of it have a gold tooth like that? Nope. Like, <laughs> nope. I don't so think I've ready, ever noticed that. So ready, there's a gold tooth on the leering one. And then again, I'll pull up the hat box. He's got a gold like, tooth right there. Almost see it here. Yeah. Gold yeah. teeth around. Very popular. <laughs> That's so funny. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Isn't that cool? I yeah. figured you would like that one. The uh, I love it. It's a good. It's a good uh, story about heads for you. 
That listen, I uh, you just can call me Cranium Command because I you know I figured that one out. That was cool. Well, I think you're ahead tonight. Oh yeah. Well, before we, I mean, move on from this, I do have a little model of what this area was going to oh, look like, cool. which you see him. Yeah, but this one you see the shadows of the ghosts on the train, which is really different. Than okay. what you see now, because what you have now is more of a rising effect, kind of like the ones that are uh, we have now in the haunted mansion where they just look like they're flying towards the ceiling. That's what you see now. But then it looks like more like shadows of actual people sitting on the train. Yeah, I like I like the shadow effect that you're showing right there better. I think that's cooler. Yeah. Or I think it would have been fun to have a train coming towards you, but then it, it changes the storyline to you're becoming one of the ghosts because something happens to you. So wouldn't be the first time that we got off at a mansion, so <laughs> that's true. The only other thing like I can show is the uh the train tracks. This is what it looks like now. It's very it's like you don't really see any ghosts. You don't really see except for the ones rising towards the ceiling, but you do see the railroad tracks are illuminated with like fluorescence. Um, and that's, that's about it with the rising ghost. So it's, I didn't even, honestly didn't even, couldn't even tell it was a train depot except for the ticket, dude. I was like, oh, that's a depot. But when you go buy it, it's just like a porch. Yeah. It's real quick. Like. Real mm-hmm. quick. Shall we move on to town hall? We shall. Let's do it. City hall, as it says here. You already showed the concept art for this, um, I think it's really interesting that in that concept art, there is a trio of people. It's not just the mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, there was going to be the mayor who is recognizable because of his skeleton key to the city, his wife, and then the councilman was going to be with him as well. Which, So this was going to be the French equivalent of the three hitchhiking ghosts, oh. which is why he has uh, this. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's why this particular mayor has the same audio that we are used to hearing the ghost host say um in put paul free's voice in the haunted mansion like ah there you are you know and it's like and then like a ghost will follow you home that's why he says that is because these were going to be the three kind of hitchhiking ghosts that could potentially follow you home in the original concepts Okay. Which, you know, I've always like, where did, you know, how come we don't get any sort of hitchhiking ghost situation? Well, we kind of do, but we kind of don't because we still have the mayor. And I'm guessing you went down a, a head, you did some head hunting. Did you, did you, uh, you probably found out about this head as well. I did not. Please enlighten you didn't find me. find out about this head? Enlighten me about his head. Okay. So this one is, uh, uh before like I. the dream finder. Yeah. Is it the dream finder? It's the dream finder. I, I'm well looking done. at it here with his beard. That looks like the dream finder. Yeah. That's yep. crazy. Yeah. Same That's head so as funny. the dream finder. <laughs> he stole my moment, but it's fine. It's fine. I'll move I'm on. S- <laughs> I'm sorry. I looked at his beard and took an educated guess. Don't be mad at me. <laughs> no, I didn't think fine. of it. I had no idea this was a reused head until you said it. And then, I mean, it just so happens if you look at the beards, it's like they took the dream finder's head and actually put it on this dude. Yeah, so it's, it's you, red, bushy, and it's long. It's I mean, it's almost styled exactly the same. Yeah, and what's unique about the mayor is that he, uh, for those of you who don't see the the photo we have, is that when he lifts up his hat to 
tip his hat at you, so to speak, but his head comes with his hat. So his head and his hat both lift off his shoulders when he talks to you. Um, and it is Paul Freeze's voice, the ghost host in the United uh, in the U.S. Park. So um, he invites you honest? to be the. Yeah, it's a little what? weird hearing Paul Freeze at this point because we really it haven't is. had him. So it's jarring to me in a little ways, and I don't feel like it fits necessarily. But it's also an homage to, um, like literally tipping a cap to the origin. So I, I'm not, I'm not against it. It just feels out of place when you're watching POVs and you hear the voice. Yeah, it was actually I laughed out loud when I heard it. I was like, <laughs> he says, "Ah, there you are." I was like, "Well, where have you been?" <laughs> yeah, right, dude. You haven't been on the whole thing. You've been you alone been this, whole, this time. whole time. It is weird that he says that. Um, and he does say, beware of hitchhiking ghosts, which again ties back into that idea that he was going to be one of them. But he's holding a giant skeleton key, which would yeah, be like the key that. to the city. Yeah. Um, and there That's is a also a, there's a raven above him as well that is mm -hmm. a nod to the original ghost host concept in the United States. They were going to have the raven be the ghost host. That's why the raven is in every scene. Uh, but then they figured out the raven kind of blends into the background too much for people to understand that it was the raven talking so they just made the raven a raven and they made the the ghost host a disembodied voice so and we do see that original tree trunk concept are uh, a vulture on the left hand side but there's also a raven above the original trio in the concept art so it's cool that that there is one there yeah and he's pretty prominent too he's they're mm -hmm. not hiding the fact that he's there sitting on a branch yeah, it wasn't like just like filler. It's clearly was meant to be there and and portray. So, and I before we go too far into town, I do want to point just show a little bit of the concept art from Western River Expedition to just kind of start introducing the idea of what this town looked like. Um, so again, we saw Mary Blair's color work, but then this is more of what the model looked like, where you can still see they integrate integrated that color work here. Um, and this is all Mark Davis's concepts. I went down a little bit of a primary source rabbit hole with the Thunder Mesa Daily Messenger, which it's important okay. to note the time period of when this gets published. It's after the refurb. So this is on Tuesday, April 30th, 2019. Uh, and they're actually talking about the manor being uh, reopens the old Ravenswood estate after the official investigation of what happened to Melanie and Henry and Martha. Uh, but at one point they mention a mayor's name. Now this isn't, this is the current Thunder Mesa mayor. This would have been in 2019 Artemis L. Hector, which I just thought was interesting to name. I originally I was like, oh, that would have been cool if that was like the mayor that we're seeing here's name, but it is not. But there are some folks uh, that I do have that we're going to see in the town just shortly. So I think that what we're going to next is the shootout between the bank robber fleeing on a, a mule and a cowardly sheriff with the uh, this is where we find Big Thunder Mountain in the background as well. If you you went down heads, did you did you find this head? <laughs> uh, so, oh, I don't know that one. Nope. What's that one? Okay. So this is the bank robber. He's wearing a mask. This one actually I've heard is from World of Motion, but I haven't seen an actual character to to confirm that. Hmm. Um so we'll see. But it does come from this concept. Here so here's the World of Motion model. 
which does have a bank robber in it. Um, and that did end up in the attraction as well. So it's it's entirely possible they just use the same guy, which would make sense. And they also said the donkey is from uh, World of Motion as well. That definitely tracks because they tend to reuse the same animals for a lot of things. Um, if you think of like the dog from Pirates of the Caribbean, also in Living with the Land, also in Carousel of Progress, those kinds of things, just different fur, right, for the different animals. But we talked about last week the face and body of the scared sheriff that's hiding behind the lamppost was repurposed. The And so this is what Jeff Burke said. He said, the animatronic head used for the organist and the scared sheriff in Phantom Manor is indeed the same sculptor with the distinctive makeup variations. However, he was not sculpted originally with Phantom Manor in mind, but rather was fashioned as one of the extra figures for Pirates of the Caribbean. So he came from Pirates of the Caribbean, became the organist in the original Haunted Mansion, and then became the scared sheriff in the Phantom Manor, which I think is really fun. Where is he located? Is he across the street? Across the street, yeah. Yeah, because so, I was going to say, you can barely see him in the... Is it this dude with the green, with the vest? Yeah, he is he's scared. Okay. He's being cowardly. Yeah, he's. It's, it goes by so fast, too. You could yeah, barely I was gonna, know that these like, characters I mean, are here. When While you were talking, I was just like showing, you know, we go from... The mayor, then over to the ticket taker, and now we're already, you barely see the sheriff, and then we're into the bank robbery scene, and we're already almost moving on. And there's It kind of shows bank robber, and then it kind of turns to sheriff, but not everybody catches that POV that's recording it. Um, But that's that's what my experience has been, uh, but you can see pretty clearly. And there's a couple of things in the scene I think both of us want to talk about but i really want to talk about cigar store indian statue that's in the back mm-hmm. by the general store this is not going to be let's just put it out there that we're going to use the term native americans usually but they were called cigar store indian statues and they were put in front of uh, the shops because of uh, the general illiteracy of the public so they couldn't necessarily read that it says general store above it uh, so early store owners used emblems and figures to advertise their shop's wares. So um, Native Americans um, were associated with tobacco. And then uh, especially for uh, when because Native Americans introduced tobacco to Europeans. Um, and then the as early as the 17th century, European tobacconists used figures of American Indians to advertise their shops. And then that tradition came back from Europe back to the U.S. In uh, And then you have all that. So. That might seem really familiar to you if you've been to Disneyland because you see two of these that are currently in Disneyland. Yeah, today. I was going to say I was I was over. It was really funny. Hang on. I'll share a, a brief story. When I was in Disneyland, I was like standing right next to one and I was just looking at it like real quick and people were like, excuse me. And I was like, Wait, what? They're like, we want to get a picture. They want to get this picture I'm that like, everybody gets. OK, I had no idea that this is like such a big deal to get a picture there. Every ever since these have been in uh, Disneyland, I have seen thousands of these pictures of people with their arm around the Native American statue that used to be in front of the fine tobacco store when they sold um, those kinds of products in Disneyland. Now, they don't obviously sell those things in Disneyland anymore, uh, but they both still exist. There's one on Main Street USA if you're looking for what the store used to be. It's now the music company, the 20th century music company, which you can see here is right behind him. There's there's a little um, gramophone on it. and uh, But then there's also one that is over in uh, Westward Ho Trading Co. 
there's another one over there. But that one I think is a little bit less photographed. They, people still take photographs of both of them. No, to be honest, it was definitely but... it was the Main Street one that everybody was jamming on. I found this really cool. I think this is a matchbook from Disneyland that shows the uh, cigar store Indian oh, as that's well. Cool. That's yeah, really cool. that shows Main Street USA souvenir and it has this tobacconist and uh i also forgot to mention that you'll see this if you're in pinocchio ride and we talked about how they these these are also there's gigantic uh, native american statues in there holding cigars as well and that was in the, the movie and also the attraction as well so um so those show up as as a symbol for tobacco so that is what we see back here in phantom manor uh we see the general store and it's, of course, like falling apart because it's been through this massive earthquake. But then you see a little statue of a cigar store Indian back there in front of it as well. So a little tie back to the history of the time when people couldn't read very well. So they had to have something hanging from the shops, which as we get to the rest of these shops, I'll point at a couple more of those kinds of things as well. You found something that was really close to that, right? That you yeah, I found uh, President's over here so some dead presidents are hanging on the wall with their portraits so i'm not really sure why necessarily they're uh underneath the bank sign i can tell from one of them is that it's lincoln i don't know who this guy is who's clean shaven but i think that's garfield but again i don't know the reason i mean time period wise it makes sense with some of the presidents especially lincoln because we're in the 1800s but other than that no clue or the connection. So if you know, please let us know why they selected these three dead presidents at the bank. It would have to be somebody before that time period, right? So I don't there's but, it's a bunch of ghosts, dude. I don't think we really care about <laughs> you know, continuity. Again I though, mean, like why why but why are they there? I mean, the only thing I can think of is uh something to do with uh currency federal bank recognized monies that's the only thing that makes sense to me of why it even yeah. exists uh but i i had a hard time even finding those specific portraits as well i tried to find the answer to that too and i couldn't find anything and i'm like yeah. it could just be scene setting you know like they do but they have Ooh, lots of things that are just i need a setting. reason give me a reason <laughs> I have something that is from the original concept art for Mark Davis. There is this shootout here uh, that you can see with a, and it's in front of the bank. So you can see what the bank looked like for the Western River Expedition. And there's guys hiding in the windows and the doors. And uh, then there's the tonsorial parlor with baths next door. Al's tonsorial parlor. So you can get yourself a bath. I don't know if I would uh, necessarily do that in that location. Not in the middle of a shootout. <laughs> no, it's probably not, the, not an appropriate time. Do you have anything else for the nowadays? Shootout? Nowadays, kids, just to like bring this and make it more relevant, you would see a uh, a walking, smiling battery pack with a dense fog behind it outside of vape <laughs> shops, just so you would know if you can't read. Uh, I don't know if people would be taking a picture with that. <laughs> I would if it was a big smiley battery pack. <laughs> Probably one of those little like air Dude, dancer things. Listen, let's talk about this for half a second. Uh, you go buy mattress stores. They have literally an inflatable talking, walking, smiling, sign spinning mattress. They're cute. You can make anything cute. 
So, you know, just put eyes on it and we're good. That's fair. Alrighty. Do you have anything else for the shootout area? Let's get out of here. I don't want to get hit by any stray bullets. Can we please move on to the apothecary? I need a stiff one. Let's go. <laughs> so this is where we see a green-faced mad scientist who is drinking a potion. Um, and it's from, I actually had this concept art on display in Disneyland not too long ago. So I saw the real thing which was so fun. Um, so it's basically an old haunted mansion concept that they resurrected for this. The interesting thing is this guy used to have a face that changed when he drank the potion. His, they, his face would oh, cool. change. Um, and somewhere along the line, my understanding is people couldn't see it because it oh. went so slowly that they're just like, we're just going to uh, make him like this instead. Jump scare warning. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he's something. So he's more like perpetually kind of turning into a green monster now. Um, but you can see the direct connections between that concept art and what we have now, especially in like the beakers that are around him. Definitely looks like a mad scientist lab. Yeah. Uh, I'm noticing is, a graduated down. cylinder as well. Looking good. Yeah. This is where I went down a little rabbit hole because this is largely uh, from the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Of course. So that was an 1886 gothic novel by Scottish author Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson, um, which follows Gabriel John Utterson, a London-based legal practitioner who investigates a series of strange occurrences between his old friend Dr. Henry Jekyll and a murderous criminal named Edward Hyde. So uh, that's the whole idea is that um, Hyde would then drink a serum that turned him into Jekyll, and then he found a way to transform himself and indulge his vices without fear of detection. So the apothecary here is tasting his own wares, <laughs> and uh, so he can indulge in maybe some not-so-great behavior is the kind of implication. It's very much Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, which, again, this goes by so quickly. You're lucky yeah. if you even notice that it's an apothecary. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it says there. it above, and there is lots of, like, chemistry equipment in there. Do you know, um, Dr. Jekyll, how he would eat his Western cooked steaks? How? Rawhide. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, I actually, I actually have, um, I actually have stuff for this. So let's, okay. let's chat it up. First of all, this guy has a name, and his name is Doc Wassel. And Doc Wassel, we know that his name is Doc Wassel because this is also a part of this uh, Thunder Mesa Daily Messenger. And down below, there's actually an advertisement. Feeling spooked? Disquieted? Try Dr. Wassel's patented nerve tonic. Guaranteed to bring you peaceful rest and lift your spirits, which I think is cool. Now, I have to go a little bit further in depth here. Uh, in the 1800s, this is going to get a little weird. In the 1800s, and actually pre prior to the 1800s, uh, almost all apothecaries, all they would do is they would fix remedies for you, meaning like they would mix uh, certain different, uh, basically it was like medicines. So like different powders, different herbs and they would put them together and they would give them to you right well in the 1800s there's this weird split between apothecaries where some became more like 
apothecary GPs, so like a general practitioner of health, and then some were just chemists. So there was this like major rift between the two. So clearly, uh, our Dr. Wassel and his nerve tonic was uh, a one and only chemist. Now, nerve tonic. I actually found a picture of a bottle of bromocarpine nerve tonic from Paris, France from 1870. And they were talking about this specifically. Would you drink this nerve tonic and what were your choices? And what would you use to actually, uh, to, why would you drink this? And it was Victorian doctors would use this for people who had nervous breakdowns or neuroathenia. And they also um, would sometimes occasionally introduce this with a combination of hypnosis, electrotherapy, or what they would call a rest cure, which I'm going to be honest, rest cure sounds amazing. I would really like that. <laughs> do, you, do you know what a rest cure is? No. Just chilling. They just want you to just chill. I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I can't I'm do that, that, but I would, I need a rest cure. <laughs> yeah. I could use a solid week's worth of rest cure myself. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, That's it's, it's interesting that they said that these things would calm your nervous system down for weeks or months or even cure epilepsy. But there was a British medical journal uh, back in May of 1912 that tested a bottle of this medicine to see what actually were the contents. And they found that it was mainly sugar and water, a little bit of alcohol and orange extract with a touch of potassium bromide. And bromide was used in asylums to calm patients. Um, but if you Make took you too much realized. of it, you would become disoriented, depressed. And there also sometimes were traces of pilocarpine, which was a drug uh, that would boost the production of both saliva and sweat. So not only by drinking this nerve tonic, you would not be calmed, you would not be quieted, but in fact, you would be drinking orange sugar water with booze that made you uh, <laughs> depressed, disoriented, no. and you would also be drooling and sweaty. So <laughs> Lovely. That sounds yeah. great. That's why those guys jumped town so quickly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. So there you so go. There's, uh, there's a bottle of nerve tonic for you. Okay. I'll get you a bottle. So you can try it out. If we're going through down, down this rabbit hole, I have some too. So this is from the Western River Expedition. This is Doc Cogwheel's mag magic elixir. Sorry, Doc Cogwheel's magic elixir. And so he was basically like, you know, a tonic um, salesman. So this is in Mark Davis's original concept art and shows him selling his wares uh, to the local people. Uh, using actually Native Americans to sell the product, which is really interesting. And I know that they did change that later. Uh, they swapped it out for um, different people. But in Disneyland Paris, in their shooting gallery, they actually have something that is um, N. Clements Weather Thunderbolt Elixir, Miracle Heavens. Well, isn't that kind of funny too? I'm not pulling it up right now, but doesn't that look really similar to the Walt Disney World uh, Big Thunder, Professor Isobar's weather machine. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar to that. Really similar. Yeah, which is also, there's another boot hill, too. We've been talking about how many boot hills there are. There's one there, too. There's, <laughs> isn't there one in Splash Mountain, too? Splash Mountain had a boot hill. I don't know. 
I have to think about that. I'm pretty sure. Uh, it, oh, you know what it was? It was the Vultures. The Vultures were from the Boot Hill Gang. Boot Hill Boys. Yeah, Boot the Boot Hill, Hill Boys. Some, Boot Hill Boys yeah. were the name of the Vultures. That's where I'm. Yeah, because they came. Yeah, no, they came and they they came from America Sings. American so, Sings. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do have uh, something that Mark Davis wrote for Doc Cogwheel's Magic Elixir before we move on from this. Uh, it says, Cures, Distemper, Dyspepsia, Ant Bite, and Egg, Chicken Pox, Dizzy Spell, Sore Feet, and Mange, Coated Tongue, Hangnails, Liver, Ales, and Colic, Loss of Memory, Carbuncles, Bunions, and Corns, Vapors. It cures ailments that haven't been discovered. You don't have to listen to me. It's all here on the label. Please have your dollar ready. We have a very limited supply. So that's like what he would have been saying okay. uh, as he sells his wares. One of those words is very funny to me, and I had to quit Google it. A carbuncle. Would you like to know what carbuncle. a carbuncle is? Oh, I know what it is, but feel free for those it's who don't know. disgusting. <laughs> it is. It's an infection of hair kids. follicles that uh, basically surrounds your skin and deep underlying subcutaneous tissue to make it tender and pus filled okay that's gross let's not talk about that anymore uh isn't isn't carbuncle used as like a cartoon name i feel like wasn't there like a something Something. there was yeah i I feel like when i was a kid with that sugar water is not curing that no (laughs) it's it's not doing a, a, a thing I also mentioned that I was talking about how they hang different things or put different things outside the store to symbolize what the store is. Uh, for an apothecary, they'd usually have something like this. It was like a hand- hanging uh, little like bowl or chandelier um, to symbolize. And this one looks like it might be a light as well. Maybe not. We don't but... have one in our apothecary, though, here. We do get we a broken here. wooden beam, lots of cacti, but that's it. Yeah, and I do want to go back to the concept art for this area, which we haven't shown yet, and it does have the apothecary in it, which is really quite fascinating because uh, it really shows him turning into this green monster quite a lot. Like, he actually looks like a monster in this concept art. Yeah, and he almost um, has, like, a spirited look to him because he's very vapor, you know, he's, he's, like, ethereal. He's not just 100% human. Yeah. And then next door to him is a concept we actually don't get, which the is a barbershop. Yeah. Did you get? Did you research this one too? Um, well, I know a little bit about barbershops in general because uh, you can actually kind of see them. Well, you know, do you want me to just talk about barbershops for a hot second? Yeah, and then I'll go into why this is probably here. Go for okay. it. Okay. So barbershops were were typically actually, and it, being right next to an apothecary makes sense. And remember, our apothecary, Doc uh, Wassels, is a chemist. So he would give you um, drugs or tonics to drink for your ailments. But next door, the barber isn't, in a traditional sense, a barber. Most barbers uh, back in like the 1800s would do small minor surgeries as well uh, and dentistry. So if you had problems with your teeth, if you need to have a bullet or a wound, something sutured or stitched, and it's another reason why we get barber poles. Barber poles were symbols of where they would put gauze, bloody gauze, on a pole to dry out so that they could reuse it. It's disgusting. But uh, that's why we get the barber pole uh, looking the way it did, and eventually it turned out that they were just doing haircuts down the line. But here in the 1800s, they would do physical, surgical, medical procedures, apart from giving you a shave and a little tune-up up top. 
Yeah. So the reason why I think this is this was put in here was um, possibly a Sweeney Todd reference. Mm. Um, mm. So the character of Sweeney Todd originated in the Penny Dreadfuls, which was a serialized Victorian pop fiction publication. And in it, there was a story called A String of Pearls. So it looked uh, looked like this. And then it said the Barber of Fleet Street below it. So this would come out in uh, a weekly magazine that was published during the winter of 1846 to 1847. So right, you know, on time for all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to show some of the more violent pictures in here. No, but please do. Show... Please do. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I, I'm keeping one of them down because it's it's pretty pretty there. But um, set in 1785, the story featured as its principal villain a um, Sweeney Todd, which included all the plot elements that were used in later versions. So the the this is essentially a murderous barber story. Uh, so people would disappear when they go to his barber shop. And well, well, time out, time out. There were some food shortages, and there wasn't a lot of good meat. So I feel like it was just filling a market gap. <laughs> that Sweeney Todd was like, you know what? I've got a barber shop. People are used to blood and gore, and uh, I can make some great mince meat pies. <laughs> um. The story was turned into a play before the ending had even been revealed in print. That's how much people loved it. And oh, an expanded cool. edition appeared in 1850, an American version in 1852, and a new play in 1865. But what you guys might know it from is the 1979 Broadway musical by Stephen Sondheim, Sweeney Todd, which is, uh, which I think we all know from The Office when <laughs> when Andy sings Sweeney Todd and stars in it. But That's great. Uh, yeah, but this is 1870s Sweeney Todd was like familiar to pretty much anybody in the Victorian era. So I'm pretty sure, especially with Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde next door, that this would have been a Sweeney Todd reference that we just unfortunately lost. So which is a little sad. I I think that you're probably spot on. If there is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde direct connection, then I wouldn't be shocked. But again, our time periods are perfect for utilizing both of those archetype characters, which we know that they draw from major literary sources all the time to build the mansion. So one thing that I found that they would have hung outside of, this is just a little aside, just for your knowledge, what they would have hung outside of um, pawn shops was these little three gold balls. And they still do it in a lot of places today, which I didn't. What do they that. signify? Uh, that's where you can like get money or sell gold or sell, you know, like it's okay. like sell your valuables hmm. and then get money for it. So hmm. pawn shops, <laughs> who knew? Yeah, no, I was just, I was just saying like, cause yeah, like the barber pole kind of makes sense. I don't know why the apothecary makes sense. You know, it, a lot of places they've changed that to like crosses, like medical or shields. Or it's like, you know it's what I'm like a mortar and pestle is like a very common one too, I think. Okay. So like an apothecary, I think that that symbol well, has also been around for quite well, some time. In like, in Epcot at uh, Norway, Kringla Bakery has that giant pretzel-looking sweetbread. That's common for outside of Norwegian bakeries so that you know that, hey, go get your sweet pretzels over here. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't just in England. It wasn't just in the United States. It was, it's been all throughout history for people who were illiterate. They would put symbols on things so that they would yeah. know uh, what they were looking at. Speaking of literate, and this hit my For You page, and it's very apropos to like fun literary stuff when you were a kid. Did you ever read the stories in a dark, dark room? Do you remember those as a kid? 
Um, stories so, you should read in the dark. So no, no, no. There's stories. There's, so I think I think you're talking about this one, scary, scary stories, stories to tell in the dark, mm-hmm. which there was multiple one. ones in that one. But did you ever read this one in a dark, dark room? There was. It's, I don't think it so. was like a carryover of all these different stories. There was one guy who had like really funky teeth. But one of the stories is great, and again, I don't know why this is showing up on my FYP, except for you know it's like Halloween. Uh, there was a girl a, with a green ribbon around her neck, and you don't know why she has a green ribbon. She gets married, and then when she finally gets really, really sick, her husband says, "Can I please finally take off the green ribbon?" And when he does, her head falls off. It's oh. just like a. But this is <laughs> this is a this is a level two book for kids. And I go, I I think this is why I'm messed up, and I like <laughs> and I like horror movies and all this because I remember in in fourth grade reading scary stories to tell in the dark, but before that I know I read in a dark dark room, and then I just I was like, man, I gotta get a copy of that book in the library and read it to my kids because it's really fun, or have them read it. <laughs> You're like I'm so messed up, so I gotta do it to my kids too. Yeah, well, I want them to enjoy the stuff. Yeah, it was like the teeth in the graveyard, the green ribbon, dark, dark room, the night it rained, the pirate, the ghost of John. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... I never read that one. I did scary yeah. stories to read in the dark, and I did all... Like, they had like a couple and of I, those, and, right? and I think those ones are horrifying. These are pretty tame, but even by like tame standards, yeah, I mean, you watch a girl's head fall off in the, in the book. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Small little Halloween tangent. <laughs> um... On that note, shall we go to the saloon? <laughs> I could use a drink. <laughs> Bottoms up. <laughs> so the saloon has so many tiebacks into Mark Davis and his original concept art. He did multiple versions of the saloon. We have a ton of concept art for this. And, you know, I've I've heard so many imagineers talk about how disappointed they were that they wanted to do so much more with this attraction and they didn't get to and that's what we see with a lot of this concept art like we were going to be three hitchhiking ghosts there was going to be this barbershop there's going to be all this stuff and it just got simplified because of budget so what you're seeing kirk is showing you there is the original concept art for phantom manor i have uh one that's from uh, mark davis who is dance hall and saloon and uh, has kind of a, a mother holding her children's ears as they walk by, which I think is my favorite part. So they don't hear anything unsavory as they wander by the saloon with the guys singing loudly. I can only Probably imagine something inappropriate. Um, but I have a ton of this, uh, these, this concept art. And, uh, but then you see also the pianist is in there. Um, now the pianist, uh, this is what the pianist would have looked like in the original model for Western River Expedition. Um, but it's a little bit different when we see it in inside Phantom Manor. He is playing like a honky-tonk piano, uh, but we see something coming out of the piano, which is a candelabra. It's a hand holding a candelabra, so it's not floating on its own. It And it reminds me so much of uh, Kirk, the, the Haunted Mansion uh, graveyard with the hand, the arm with the cocktail glass that's coming out of the grave. Um, It's a trowel. Well, there's, the, there's yeah. actually two. No, there's a trowel there's too. A, no, there's but... a cocktail glass that's in the front, uh, like right by the teacup scene. And then there's the trowel at the end. But yeah, it's, it's very similar. Yep. And I guess technically it happens multiple times because later on we'll also see in the mausoleum scene. Uh, that's akin to that. 
But I also like that the candelabra gives us the endless hallway vibes of the floating candelabra as well, which I thought was cool. Yeah, it's like it's a combination of both of those two scenes, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost all of uh, Mark Davis's versions, there is a pianist playing a honky-tonk piano. And the version in Phantom Manor is playing Grim Grinning Ghost, in case you're wondering what they're playing. But I could, it's like every time I see Mark Davis with Western River Expedition, he's like doing something to the saloon. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this was a highlight for him. Yeah, he clearly likes the um, the bar kind of chilling, hanging atmosphere. It was lively. Yeah. And the other thing we see is uh, there's just one. There's like well, there, one you know dancing there's... girl. You got to you got to admit though, Mark Davis cuz even with with Red, like he spent a lot of time and attention on those this female and in Pirates. It's true. That's true. Uh, I'm kind of sad we didn't get this scene from Mark Davis that shows a uh, a cowboy holding his hat up in the air and then one of the can-can dancers has to kick really high and hit the hat. <laughs> And, uh, well, uh, but maybe think... it's because the dude is falling off the roof and there's beer bottles <laughs> flying. Maybe that's maybe they thought that was a little much for kids. <laughs> I mean, it's a saloon. Like, what do you want? But yeah, no, it's true. But you do see those dancer, these kind of like can can dancers. Um, you only see one in the Phantom Manor who is has a big boa around her neck and is hanging out with the bartender. But she's, she's, uh, she's there. She's green. She's very green. She's very horribly green. You can definitely see the influence, though, um, where they borrowed, especially with the color red and um, just the the outfits as well from Mark Davis. There was supposed to be a whole bunch of cowboys at the bar that or seated at tables, and also a whole bunch more dancers. And according to the show writer Craig, Flem- Craig Fleming. Many of these characters would have dedicated tombstones in Boot Hill Cemetery as well, which was intended to be more precise and relevant to Thunder Mesa. So there was supposed to be like a whole litany of characters in here uh, that then would have been in had graves in Boot Hill, which would have then made everything tie together and uh, budget budget happened. So Mm. we don't have that. Do you have anything you have for this scene? Uh, Sentence bad. I. Do you seem have anything to add? <laughs> uh, sure. Wow. I would I would like to add one thing that is uh is just like an interesting period piece. It's very hard to see when you're on the actual attraction because it's low. So visually it's on the ground, but you can see it really well in this image, is right to the right of the barkeep on the ground, uh next to the bar side, even where it has like the foot pedestal on the bottom of the bar, which I thought was an interesting thing they did not need to have. So I thought that was kind of cool that they have that. But there's a spittoon. You don't know what a spittoon is. If you were using chewing tobacco, it was a place where you could hock right into this big old brass or metal receptacle to, uh, it's really gross, but it's there. It's it's there. It, it sure is. Mm-hmm. I was trying to see how they've changed this. She definitely was not green before. Uh, back yeah, she was in the you know, original 1992 version. They made her more green and more ghostly or ghastly in this uh, this later version. So, Yep. The Spittoon is in the concept art, too. 
Oh, yeah, look at it. Look at it there. Which you really was like a staple for saloons back then. So that makes sense. Ding. <laughs> this episode's gross. <laughs> well, you guys want to talk about carbuncles again? <laughs> no. I we I I think that's a band on I, I'm putting it on the band list for the band list or Carbuncle. Rest, okay. The rest of the time we do this. No more Carbuncles. Sorry, kids. No more Carbuncles. Should we move on to the poker players? We can go to the hotel, if you will. Okay, into the hotel. Do you want to talk about this a little bit? Yeah. So I mean, I don't know much about it. Uh, the I think in the concept art they have them playing cards, right? Yeah, so in in the original one, on the right-hand side, there were actual physical cowboys uh, seated around a circular table, and they're playing cards, and they're drinking uh, and raising a glass to cheers. Uh, What we actually get, though, and I don't know if this was – I'll have to look back. I actually found this really cool uh, comparison. Were they playing cards in – were there actual physical people in the original one? Nope, there was never any physical people. Okay. So when, mm-hmm. when we get to this scene, it's just cards and booze floating around this round table uh, as they're playing, which I think is cool. It's a very cool effect. Yeah, it uses uh, Pepper's ghost effect, at least in the original version. Oh, um, cool. That's how you make them. Yeah, so if you if you look real carefully, you can see kind of where all that's coming from. They're playing five-card poker, which was the common game depicted in comics and movies for Western uh, movies. So... Uh, five card poker. I am not a poker player, so if that means something to you, great. I yeah, don't know anything it's, about so, poker. So five card, <laughs> five card draw is when you get dealt five cards to start. You have betting rounds, and then you also have like discard slash pickup rounds. It's actually a terrible way to play cards uh, because you get almost no information apart from how many cards does somebody pick up and uh, and what their betting strategy is. And a lot of times they didn't have like. It you know we have this concept of what cards looks like like all in people just like push their chips back then everyone would have had like a set limit of playing so it would be like 10 10 10 10 like it would be boring like right it's it right. just ways they have limit poker in casinos and it's basically anybody who's over 70 plays and you just play every hand until it's done <laughs> like it's 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 a silly game yeah, all I know yeah. about poker is back in this time, in this era, that a lot of people cheated all the time. I mean, people still cheat at poker, but, like, people would cheat and then it would instantly become, like, gunfight <laughs> in the saloon. Um, I wonder how often that, that actually – I've, I've done zero research on that. I'm super <laughs> curious to see, like, how often that actually happened because it gets depicted in film and literature quite a bit. You know, like that – all I see is like somebody like slamming the chairs back, you know, like they stand up and all the chairs go flying and they're like, I saw an ace in your sleeve, you know, like, or an ace in the hole used to be. Um, I mean, colloquially that came from this era as well. The ace in a hole, AKA right. you have a extra card in your somewhere. I mean, it had, the stories had to come from somewhere, how much they're exact exaggerated. I don't know, you know, but I think this, this gag is largely playing into that idea of these ghosts are literally can't see them, but they're playing, uh, playing poker and pouring drinks and things like that. Um, do you have anything else for the hotel? I, I showed a little bit of concept art from Western River Expedition, but anything else? Kind of looks like the place I stayed in Disneyland. So 
just kidding. It's not that bad. <laughs> you have haunted ghosts drinking. <laughs> no, legitimately, it looked like the place I stayed in in the uh, I think it's called the Gaslight District in uh, San Diego. It was a haunted. That place is really expensive because it's like a very big tourist area in San Diego, and um, uh, or maybe it's Gas Lamp, Gaslight, Gas Lamp. I don't know. Uh, but it was haunted, and when we went up the elevator, there were like haunted dolls at each floor like in between the floors because it had like a window and there was like a closed off section and there was like haunted little go it was it was terrifying also in fell's point in maryland we oh um, fell's point yeah yeah mel and i stayed at a a haunted uh hotel because it was real cheap there and i remember we had like a fireplace and vaulted ceilings in this place and i was like we cannot come back to this place with a regular mind we need to basically knock ourselves out because i can't sleep in this place but it was dirt cheap okay well as long as we're telling haunted ghost stories please uh, please (laughs) i went to um forgive our aside here we'll get right back to the Vanda manor but i went to a piping festival with my husband who plays the illin pipes um they did an irish festival that was in germany and we lived in ireland at the time so we just hopped on Ryanair, which is its own ghost story, um, <laughs> and went over to this castle, fortress, castle, I don't know, stronghold. It was <laughs> this really old castle that was from like the 15th century. It was it was it was an adventure. And they, you know, restored the inside and kind of turned it into like a bed and breakfast kind of hotel retreat center. OK, um, so I'm staying in this place. And of course, Elliot's like, he's teaching classes and doing sessions and doing like all the stuff you do in these kinds of festivals. And I'm reading um, Northanger Abbey, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a a, a kind of a ghost story. <laughs> so um, Jane Austen, ghost story. And so my imagination's already working, but I swear I'm starting to hear things in the hallway, which is this giant spiral staircase of this old turret in this castle. And we're staying like off one of the rooms of the turret. And so I keep hearing things in the hallway and I keep like looking out. I'm like, hello, is anybody there? Like I never heard anybody. And I started Mm -hmm. getting terrified. So I like go and find Elliot because I'm like, I can't be alone in this room anymore. And it comes so Later, I'm watching this, like, you know, ghost hunters, ghost adventures, who knows what those shows are. And they're, like, investigating this place. They're getting, like, all this, like, paranormal activity and stuff, like, in the room that I see. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm never going back there. Never. Mm-mm. I'm out. Yeah. That paranormal <laughs> stuff is crazy. It, it's super scary, too. Like, all these places sketch me out. I So I, I found the place that we stayed at. It was called the Admiral Fells Inn. Just look at this place from... Point. It's in Fells Point, and it's dirt cheap. This is this is like when it was built, and I mean it, it's a lot nicer than even when we were there. But this is the kind of vibe you got. Some yeah. of these rooms are really gorgeous. Well, I went to the Edgar Allan Poe house that is in. Oh yeah, Baltimore. not a nice, not a nice neighborhood, uh-uh. not at all. No, the, the Edgar Allan Apartments is like <laughs> one of the worst crime scenes in that 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 place is very unsafe. But I've been to that too. Mel and I went. Yeah, it's. Did you go up in the attic? It's creepy oh, yeah. up there. It's really Ooh. tight too. Like it each is. one of the staircases is like it rotates through the angles as you're going up, and it is cramped. Oh, yeah, no, it was funny because like my mom and I had no idea about the neighborhood when we were driving there, and like somebody on the side of the road, they're like, "Are you going to the Edgar Allan Poe house?" Like somebody, we're just driving by in our car, and we're like, "Yeah,", yeah. and they're like pointing where it is up there because they're like. It's the they're only like, reason we don't go be in that anywhere else. That's <laughs> true. Like, it's really true. 
I never yeah. would have thought it was like that. And when you go in, it's like the sweetest, nicest old ladies who are like, welcome to where he was yeah. lighting. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's safe in the in the house ish. It's it's creepy though. They have a lot of ghost stories there too. Yeah, so. and you wanna and you wanna place. go there at like ten AM and leave by eleven AM. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Uh, that seems like a safe, safe time to go. Yes. Another another fun fact, because Edgar Allan Poe, remember we talk about Edgar Allan Poe a lot with the Haunted Mansion, Telltale Heart, so Beating Heart Bride, uh Cask of Amontillado with the concept of walling up a human. There's also another one, I forget the uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Edgar Allan Poe uh, died in Maryland, uh, in Baltimore, and they think, they don't really know exactly what happened to him, but they think that it was during uh, one of these time periods where it was an election, and what you would do is you would go with a giant, large group of people that were apart from one political party, and you would go and you would drink at an establishment, and you would go and vote, and then you would go to another uh, district in the city, go and drink somewhere else, and then go and vote again. So you would literally go with a massive group of like 150 people that would be paying for your drinks and your food to go vote for certain people. So no, supposedly he was in that in Fells Point and got trampled, uh, and he was like drunk and like fell asleep and like knocked in something, hit his head, something terrible. But also, funny enough, interestingly enough, in Fells Point. They had uh, Shanghai tunnels. Have you ever heard of a oh. Shanghai tunnel? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Shanghai tunnels, if you don't know, a lot of these bars were right up against the Inner Harbor, which is where boating vessels and sailing ships. And a um, if you were uh, in one of those bars and somebody was buying you drinks and you weren't minding your P's and Q's, minding your P's and Q's stand for colloquially minding your pints and quarts of alcohol, uh, you may wake up on a boat and you were what they would call shanghai And some of these bars were known to do that, where they would literally kidnap you and turn you into a sailor. Because, like, what are you going to do when you're now in the ocean on a ship? After you got nowhere to go. Boost up. You got nothing. So some of these bars straight up had Shanghai tunnels. They, they mainly used them for importing of goods, but the process and um, that did actually happen, which is... Sorry, we went on a little bit of a historical <laughs> rabbit trail, but it's, it's a little it's like interesting. Spooky, it's, spooky yeah, it's, tangent. It's, I, by the way, just I will put this out to anybody: if you want to learn a city, go do their ghost tour, their historical ghost tour at night. They always have really interesting stories. If you're not like a history person, you're like, oh God, I don't want to learn about like like presidents or political they wouldn't be like, listening to this podcast if they were history people. No, but like <laughs> what what I mean is like you like. Everyone that's listening to this enjoys theme park history, but not everybody enjoys, you know, architectural history and all those things. But if you go on those ghost tours, they're made to be entertaining and interesting. And it's a great way to learn a city, learn landmarks with really fun backstories that you can talk about. So, Unless you're a chicken like me. (laughs) You would like those things. I've become more chicken. I would like like the history. Although I got to admit, I went to a Gettysburg um ghost tour and they took us into a kids uh like a child's for um uh like an orphanage kind of but it was like pre-orphanage mm-hmm. and they would put the kids in the basement and they forced us to go into the basement and walk to like this nope. was like an actual haunted place not just nope. like a ghost walking tour and they literally had like a like a little small confined space that all the lights are off and they're like you can go stand in there and i'm like oh god uh 
It's so creepy. No, that's how I felt about that's the different though. The, that's yeah, different. the Bridge of Sighs in Venice felt like that. It was just like that. That was the last time they would ever see the sunlight. Was walking over the Bridge of Sighs, and that's how they would sigh because they'd see the view, and that was the last time they'd ever see the sunlight. And then you go to the like jail cells, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm not gonna go in there. I can yeah. see it from here. I'm good. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so let's let's wrap up Phantom Canyon, shall we? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're done with the physical adventure. buildings. Now we're heading to Boot Hill. Yeah, and so this is where we had this discussion. I think before this podcast started, we had a little aside where we're like, okay, is there, there's, how many Boot Hills are there? Because the whole Phantom Manor is sitting on Boot Hill, so to speak. <laughs> and then there's a Boot Hill Cemetery, which we'll get to. And then inside the attraction, there's also Boot Hill. So... <laughs> Stop confusing people, Kate, and saying Boot Hill so many times. <laughs> it's not me. I'm not it's doing not, it. It's not me. It's not, I'm not the problem. <laughs> Hi. Um, so we do have some concept art from this area of uh, the attraction. This, if you're, you know, if you were in the U.S. equivalent of this, this would be where you'd see like the, um, the knight and the opera singer and the uh, guy who's, you know has the trowel who's in behind the brick wall and uh and then you see the raven and then you go out to see the hitchhiking ghost so yeah it's like we're we're about to we're almost into a crypt yeah so you see the here in the concept art we have uh this one is really creepy because it's got those just like we did before there's big giant skeletons in the sky and ghosts in the sky and uh haunted uh like creatures and whatnot and <laughs> and then we'll we'll get to what's in the center there in a minute but you do see uh phantom manor is up on the hill it's like a little tiny miniature phantom manor and then you'll see the oak tree we revisit the oak tree this one just has a skeleton next to a coffin but what we used to have was this dude who was the phantom but the phantom in rags i guess with <laughs> shrouds dude come on shrouds. shrouded in our dap disguise <laughs> and he's he doesn't have a hat or anything he looks like he's being disintegrated by like the tune dip i think is the best way i could describe him <laughs> he kind of reminds me of that guy too he kind of looks like uh what was that dr doom yeah he does he's got doom vibes but mm -hmm. uh He's he's his face is kind of melting away. He's laughing maniacally with that Vincent Price laughter, and there is a giant oak tree behind him as well. He's also uh, you can see it better on your picture, uh, but he is standing um, behind a closed coffin or casket. Oh, it is closed in this version. It is that, mm. and there's a raven behind him too on the tree. Just yep. to pointed out so they did change the scene quite a bit to uh the newer version which has him in this very dapper purple outfit <laughs> like he's about to do a magic trick with a very large collar and a pink satin underlay can i have a volunteer from the audience <laughs> he's creepy though when you're actually like encountering him he's laughing maniacally and he's gesturing like get in the coffin so the coffin is open now with a big old red like, I don't know. It's supposed to be like a lining to it, but it's kind of falling out of it. Sheet. Yeah. <laughs> a red sheet. Yeah, it looks more like a sheet. The um as someone who I know is a 
spooky arborist. Uh, did you notice that the tree has an awesome claw to it? Oh, that is It's cool. like a massive outstretched hand. So very much like uh, your mansion and Snow White. I love that. Yeah, who knew the oak tree was so like important to this storyline? You know, it's it's critical. <laughs> it's right? Like, it's like within. No one. No one who has ever written this has ever gone, man, that oak tree really was integral to the storyline here. <laughs> I can't believe it was such a great metaphor. Now, you know, if you're listening to this, you know why, but. But Jeff Burke, that's why he's gripping onto that tree. <laughs> like, it's his baby. Maybe that's grip. Like... Maybe the grip is Jeff Burke's, like, a mold of his hand. That's how much he loved that tree so much. <laughs> but it just makes so much more sense now that this oak tree is symbolic of yeah. the Phantom's influence in over Melanie, over the scene, over the house, over everything, you know? And mm -hmm. it's encroaching everywhere, in especially as everything disintegrates so you might be asking like why is he disintegrating here what is the storyline so the original one was kind of like this idea that uh you have to get out before you kind of join them and like decay and become part of eternity in this house right so that's what's happening to the phantom in the original story as far as we can tell uh, he's really just kind of like falling apart and he's becoming forever in this space for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> and there was, there did used to be a noose that used to hang from this tree, but that was removed actually this year because Disneyland Paris decided to remove nooses from virtually almost everywhere. Not obviously everywhere, but, uh, cause there's still one in the stretching room or the doorless chamber there's still one there but there was a very obvious noose there and that that didn't exist when i went through uh this because i was like what is that because i was looking through all the old ones because i didn't see that when i was there because now you can see it's gone yeah you can see in my picture it's it's to the right of them uh and it it hangs directly above that open casket just interesting framing i there is a tree as well um, that is outside the house that I'll just mention since we're talking about the tree real quick that was in the concept art that also had a noose hanging from it. So they were they were big into the hanging tree. That was like a thing hmm. uh, back in this concept. And it's sitting next to the rivers of the far west. And it has this shape of it's kind of like a looped over tree branch. Um, so they do have a tree like that that is sitting next to the rivers of the far west outside the house that looks like this. So if you're it's like it's more like a stump with kind of an old branch coming off of it. And it's near very close to the edge of the water uh, where everything kind of crumbled into the the rivers of the far west when that earthquake happened. So. There is no noose on it now, but if you see it, just know that that was part of that original concept. Alrighty, so do we go to the vortex? <laughs> Are we going to the vortex? Oh, yeah, we do. We got to go to that. Oh, wait, I have to show just this. This is just what the house looks like that's up on the... And you can see the ceiling tiles pretty well, too, which is kind of a bummer. But that's what that house ended up looking like, a little miniature version of the Phantom Manor sitting above the exit of Phantom Canyon. Yeah, so vortex time. Vortex time. <laughs> so I have pictures of it actually being constructed, which is pretty interesting. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about this at all? Do you have anything for this? No, I don't have anything except for <laughs> the fact that we get Melanie 
in a skeletal form as uh, in her wedding dress, but there's like gems or crystals, like geological crystals around her and a green ominous light. But I'm not sure the symbolism or anything, like why this exists. Okay. So this is her um, descending into madness. That's what this <laughs> symbolizes. <laughs> okay. I don't, I'm not sure if that's what I got by looking at it. Yeah. Um, I don't get that. It's, it's like, it's almost like comic-esque, you know, like a comic book, like pow, <laughs> she's like being sucked into this like crystal vortex. It reminds um, me of the Gnome King from Return to Oz. <laughs> Oh, I have a I have a great one of showing her how much she's disintegrating. She's like oh, barely recognizable. Like she, she looks like she's flying like Superman, but she's all skin and bone, or she's all bones, no skin. It's so weird. Yeah, she's so she's she's decaying quite a bit. She's I mean, she's flying, kids. For those that are listening, she's literally floating in the air <laughs> with she's arms got... outstretched, feetsies behind. Yeah. Horizontal, full outstretched, one pointy, bony finger. And she is pointing, if you notice uh, in this one, she's actually pointing ahead. So, which is interesting to me because I'm like, maybe she is like warning you of what's coming next. Because in this version, after this is when you see the phantom uh, peeking out over the car, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, the Vortex is supposed to be here to send into madness. It's clear that they were like, what is this? We're going to take this out. <laughs> when they did the, like, revamp of the They spent line. a bunch of money on this, too. Like, oh, you would yeah. Think of, like, like, lots oh, of work. Right. So out of all the things that they spent money on, like, that was the thing? Do you know what I mean? That was that. Yeah. So they took that out um, or at least replaced it with, uh, our four suitors come back with uh, Sawyer Bottom, Captain Rowan D. Falls, uh, Ignatius Iggy Knight, and of course, Barry Claude. And uh, this, I think, is fun. It's a mausoleum with their names on it, but one has a hand reaching out of it, which is Barry Claude. And in his hand, it's kind of hard to see, but there is an engagement ring. He still, he still has hope that Melanie will still be his bride, even from the beyond. Good luck with that, bud. <laughs> he's like, he's like, still, here's my ring. I love you, babe. He's like, I'm still in it. I'm here. Where you at? I, I punched through a wall for you. <laughs> Take a hit, sir. It's funny because like everybody else is like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I already did enough. Um, okay. I forgot to mention something before this, but because we're talking about dead decaying things... I got to talk about the cat. Okay. Yeah. So back by that casket that was closed. Is this the mummified cat that we were talking about last time? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't find a picture of it. That's exciting and gross. So yeah, it's, <laughs> this is the mummified cat and people, nobody's confirmed or, uh, Disney has no mention of it at, is this real? This is kind of like the pirate skull where we knew there were um, cadaver uh, bones in there prior and most of them were removed. But is the one that's above 
the headstone still an actual or is this a real cat that's been mummified or not i actually think it's a mummified cat it looks really real it looks really real so it real it was by a casket they've since moved it um but again it's in the it's still here i don't know where it is though is he somewhere near this dude not anymore no they moved him in town okay See, that's why. That's what I heard. I heard there was he was in the catacombs. Ah. Uh, <laughs> was that a joke? It wasn't. It just kind of came out, and I'm like, oh, that worked. <laughs> so I was like, hey, you don't say, you don't do funnies. We're doing funnies now. I was not trying, but it it worked out in my favor. <laughs> oh, that is funny. This has been a really gross episode. The dry, mummified corpse of a cat used to lay on the catacombs floor. He was later moved to the train station scene. So somewhere in the train station is where the catacomb, the dried cat, jerky cat, is located. (laughs) It's called jerky cat. (laughs) Oh, poor kitty. Oh, I hope um, he had a nice long life. That's all. are Are we talking about graves or are we waiting on them? Uh, waiting because we're gonna do that. We're getting to that really quickly because we're almost at the end of this part. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I don't have a picture. Do you have a picture of the phantom peeking? Because I don't have one. I yeah. So one. I'm gonna give a shout out to DLP Welcome. Uh, they are a YouTube channel that actually has a really great video that's called. If you want to Google this or not Google it, if you want to type this into YouTube, Phantom Manor comparison before and after refurbishment so it's from 2017 and then 2019 uh and it does a side-by-side video and it's framed pretty close so this will actually show uh the original on here they did a nice job with that yeah they really did it's it's just really well shot but yeah but you can see him kind of peeking up above he's like looking yeah he's just looking like hey hey what up (laughs) So when they changed the storyline, they changed it from instead of Melanie's kind of descent into madness and then like disintegrating, they took that away and instead they made her just kind of go crazy because she's been, the phantom's been haunting her for so long, like literally right behind her all the time for who knows how long. And so instead, she's supposed to be in the doom buggy with you um, saying like, will you, will you marry me? So, um, you already had four attempts at that girl. Get real. To get everybody's trying to. <laughs> like, no, like, we saw it. what happened. And, like, a fairy Claude's still very much interested. So she should go ask him. Well, what else is he doing? He's still in it. <laughs> He's got nothing. He's literally sitting in a cement box. What has he got? She's a yeah. worker. You you know, the funny thing is that it wasn't really working when I was there and she was not sitting in the doom buggy with us. She was like between us. It was like between the doom buggies. And I was like, what? Why is she not in the doom buggy? So I think the timing was not right um, for that effect. Um, But yeah, so then that is is... digital or is it a a physical Pepper's Ghost for that? I'm trying to remember. I feel like it was actually Pepper's Ghost from what I saw. Yeah, because it's not she's not moving. And there is the phantom is behind her, by the way, in that too. It's almost impossible to see. You really can't even see it in this picture that I have. But the phantom is still behind her, even as she's saying, like, will you marry me? Which is so much creepier. But it goes by really fast. I told you this is the fourth time. (laughs) 
He's like, you're not marrying anybody. Like, how do I get the hint across? Which I will tell you, I feel like there's a very sinister thing about Henry that we haven't really learned. Um, And I'm going to draw some inferences of a potential reason why he's so ornery. Well, do we? So then we unload and we get off of this crazy ride. (laughs) Um. And I did look for a, you know, how we have a little Leota or the um, the ghost hostess, as she's actually called in her film projector in the U.S. version. Uh, but they did used to have a version of that in uh, Phantom Manor. And I do have the concept art for it here. So you're going to the wine cellar is where we're at next. So you see her little concept art is next to a couple bottles of wine and a wine glass. And uh, the actual one had her almost it was not the same voice but the pretty much the same script of hurry back be sure to bring your death certificate it was pretty much identical and it was just but it was melanie instead of leota Hmm. so uh they still have that voice but they don't have her anymore like Hmm. they just she's like a disembodied voice now which is really interesting um they do have photos uh, and wine, old dusty wine glasses and old flowers on top of barrels of wine. Uh, and it's very clearly a wine cellar, which is so appropriate for France. I think it's, uh, I mean, they have those stored bottles of wine as well. It wasn't in French. It was in English. Someone's asking, was it in French? Uh, sometimes they alternate between French and English, but that one seemed to be only in English that I saw. Like in Madame Leota's uh, seance room, it's both English and French. Mm-hmm. She kind of goes like back and forth. Yeah, most of the attraction is uh, is both back and forth. The But anything that was the original was the original original was all in like English. And then they're like, hey, we're going to need some French in here. So but then of they course, this French is French. <laughs> so then they brought all all in French. And people were like. Now we can't, we need a balance of both. So eventually when they did the 2018 uh, version, they made it both English and French. So now it's like you can kind of, even if you don't speak the other one, you can still kind of get what's going on, which is, I think is great. I think that's a, that's a, a win. Yeah. So do you have anything else for the exit area? Uh, Not inside. Okay. Do you want to go outside then? <laughs> Shall yes, we? I would like to do that very much. <laughs> So I think there's two things that's really interesting when you come outside. And I'm going to come back to this sign that shows uh, Boot Hill to the left as one of the options. But when we exit, and again, this is like the amazing tie-over. As soon as you exit, you look directly out to Big Thunder. Again, re-harping the fact that Thunder Mesa, Phantom Canyon, Boot Hill... Henry, the Phantom, Melanie Ravenswood, Phantom Manor, Ravenswood Estate, and Big Thunder are all intertwined as one giant story piece. This is why I find myself being drawn more to this manor backstory and the way they executed it because it's just so beautifully well done and they intertwine together really nicely yeah i agree and it's they really wanted to make it more elaborate though so i have a note from show writer craig uh, craig fleming again he said i have to say the boot hill tombstones which is where we're headed next 
weren't exactly what I had envisioned. I wanted to further the genealogy and history of Thunder Mesa by making all the gravestones relate to town personalities and to further the feeling of real place. Despite my suggestions, some whimsical, even cartoonish designs were added instead. So he um, mm. he really wanted to make it very like realistic for like the town members. And instead they're like, we're just going to go with funny. <laughs> so, you know, take that for what it is, but... Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'll tell you, just because of the homage to uh, to the other mansions, I feel it's better to go funny and funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially like with the epitaphs that um, Exitensio wrote for all of his colleagues, you know. Um, which, by the way, though, I read a really interesting story about how they the original ones were just kind of made on like fiberboard or like you know they were they were just painted on wood. Um, mm -hmm. And they had to replace them with fiberglass so that they would last longer. These are the very original ones that were the same. Take a picture, it'll last longer. <laughs> Put it on but, fiberboard, it'll last longer. So when they replaced them, they took them out and they said to like the Imagineers, like, do you want your tombstone? <laughs> and so Mark Davis had it in his office and he was like, this is too creepy. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> so he removed, had it removed. <laughs> what do you want on your tombstone? You Cheese your and tombstone? pepperoni. It's <laughs> throwing it back. Um, uh, before we get into Boot Hill, can I talk about who would bring you to Boot Hill? Yeah, please. Cool. I don't have anything. All right. About. So let's. Uh, we're going to go back to the Gazette here, and we're going to talk about the uh, Undertaker of Thunder Mesa, who was Jay Nutterwill or Nutterville, and uh, or Jeremiah. Nutterville. And he actually has a an advertisement in the Gazette that says secure your shady uh is that repose or repose? Repose. Repose, yeah. Repose before your time runs out. New plots on Boot Hill are now available. See Jay Nutterville for final arrangements. So he is the undertaker, but also, they, um, for just a very brief period, there was a moment where they had the Undertaker of Boot Hill and Thunder Mesa doing meet and greets. Oh, that's and, interesting. But what was weird is he was not standing out with, uh, like, what we would consider, like, a Silas Crump caretaker of a cemetery with a lantern and a shovel and everything. He was just standing out with a stick, I, I like for like measurements sake. <laughs> measuring, yeah, yeah. It was like Probably measuring, measuring like to for like, your coffin size, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but I thought that was kind of cool that he had his own meet and greet, just like Silas Crumb did for a very, very brief period. Another one. This is just an aside, but I think you would like it. Is uh, for 2019 they brought back. Do you know? Do you remember when they had in the mansion those spirit uh, photographs? Mm-hmm. Well, you could get them. Um, James Collins had a spirit photography, and this was in 2019. It, it no longer exists anymore, but you could immortalize your visit to Thunder Mesa by taking a frightfully unique portrait with an extraordinary spectral camera, which we talked about spectral cameras when we did the Haunted Mansion series originally. So they had that here in Disneyland Paris. They do not have it anymore from what I gather, um, but... It's kind of cool that that existed um, 
over there and there was a little bit of a backstory. Yeah, that's really the cool. the only thing uh that I missed, I'm trying to think of from the manor is I did find from this gazette as well the name of the sheriff uh which I don't know if we ever mentioned it before but it's a it's a fun name. Will Ketchum. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Well, shall we head into the Boot Hill graveyard then? Please final resting you. place for let's this look at, Phantom let's look at some headstones. <laughs> so before we go into like the actual ones that we do have, I'd like to talk just a little bit about some that we didn't get that they did have planned. Um, there is one that ties back into a character that you do see in a, in and around Thunder Mesa that's called Lavinia Rose. Um, so this was there was going to be a concept for somebody in Boot Hill that was called Jedediah Rose. Um, who was the blacksmith and he didn't have any sons. So he taught all of his crafts and trades to his daughter, Lavinia. And uh, then the epitaph for this would have been Jedediah Rose, 1795 to 1859. My sledge and anvil declined. My bellows to have lost their wind. My coal is out. My iron's gone. My nails are drove. My work is done. Love Lavinia. So it's actually very kind of like sweet epitaph rather than it's like very emotional um there also would have been one that there is a spot for this uh that exists so if you're ever walking sorry this is a crooked one because i grabbed it as a screenshot but if you're ever walking around and you see this kind of big empty spot and you're like that that do i stand there like what do i do um has two steps up into it or three steps up into it this was going to be where Henry Ravenswood brother, his brother Arthur and his wife Gabrielle Ravenswood would have been interred. So um, according to an earlier vision of, version of the story, Arthur died seven years earlier in 1867 of an illness after the mine disaster. And his wife Gabrielle died the following year of unknown causes. So, um, so he died actually after. He died, sorry. He died after, seven years after Henry Ravenswood died because he died in 1860. Um, and so they kind of like managed the estate and then he got sick and then he passed away. So that was the storyline there. And they did have a dog um, that was named Goliath that w ended up becoming Henry Ravenswood dog, which we talked about in a previous episode. And he was going to be buried nearby as well, but instead became um, a different uh, a different one. So and then the other one that I think is really interesting is someone in my chat here has mentioned that the manor resembles the psycho house, which we did talk about how they both came from the same kind of concept art, not concept art, the same art uh, piece. And that's why the houses look the same or similar. Um, but there is actually a tie back to the fact that it does look like that house. Um, they were going to have a reverend named Reverend Bates. So if mm. the, the Bates, Bates Hotel. Hotel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Reverend Bates. Mother, <laughs> why do you always do this, Mother? Talking about creepy, disintegrated, mummified things. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Reverend Bates's church was financed by the dancers of the Lucky Nugget Saloon. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, sacred. So, his it. This is what it said on his. It's is the concept art for it. So sacred to the memory of Reverend Jared Bates, who died August the 6th, 1862, erected by the girls of the Lucky Nugget Saloon, Bridget, Caroline, Lot, Lottie, Anna, Lulu, Fifi, and Sue. His flock shall sorely miss him. <laughs> Must have been a big spender. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So obviously that's a reference back to Norman Bates from Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And so there is a wooden chapel that is visible inside Phantom Canyon scene near the end of the attraction, uh, right as you're going right before the phantom and the oak tree. There's a little chapel that's kind of in the background there. And that likely would have been the chapel that Reverend Bates uh, was part of, which was conveniently located somewhat near the saloon. So, mm. well, you got to pay for your sins somehow. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that the, the girls of the saloon were like helping finance the church and his his salary. And it's just it's an interesting story. Um, it's oh. their. Uh... Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. It's in the wrong place. It's this is the church. You can see it here. It's actually oh, behind the where the shoot up shootout is. And then, yeah, Big Thunder Mountain is behind it. So you can see the chapel kind of sticking out there. So still located pretty close to the saloon, but around the corner. Well, do we want to talk about some of the other gravestones? Yeah. You want to talk about a fun one? Yeah. <laughs> sure. There's, there's have, a lot of them that are fun. Do you have a picture of the boot hell bear? Yeah. Okay. So the boot hill bear uh, has like a wooden uh, tombstone and he was native to Thunder Mesa uh, for over 20 years. And on November 13th, 1865, the bear killed, um, this bear killed and ate a squirrel, a cougar, and a human fur trapper in the same day. And the bear even seemed to take uh, the trapper's hat as a trophy. And it's kind of fun because he's like using uh, like an arrow or something to pick his teeth, which I think is fun. Uh, and then exactly 20 years to the day is when the Boot Hill Bear dies. Yeah. So and see this little epitaph says, hibernating in happiness after years of happy hunting. Which is, it's a little set that they have. So it has like the squirrel says <laughs> breakfast <laughs> time. <laughs> and then the cougar uh, says lunchtime. Looks like this. <laughs> and then the hunter is uh, dinner time. He also has a coonskin cap there, which is the one you were talking about. Yep. And then, of course, there is the hibernating in peace bear who has had quite a hearty meal. <laughs> yeah. It was a delicious day, to say the least. There's a lot of people that say that this bear is modeled after Big Al from the Country Bear Jamboree as a reference to Mark Davis, but I don't see the resemblance personally. Um, I mean, it's a it's same. a bear and he's big, so I get it. But no, it's not. It's kind of weird, though. Um, they're saying, like, because of the region and location, it would make sense for it to be a black bear. Uh, but it almost looks more like a grizzly bear yeah, in terms of size and shape. So I, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. So this is where Martha and Henry Ravenswood of Ravenswood Estates. Remember Henry before he turns into the Phantom, super overprotective father of their daughter uh, Melanie and owner of the Big Thunder Mountain um, Lining Company. And their epitaph reads, quarreled and fought as man and wife, now silent together beyond this life. Now, it's important to note that, and, and I can't confirm uh, this to be true, but think about the quarreled and fought as man and wife. If we look at their servant and maid's uh, tombs, it says Jasper Jones, loyal man servant, died 1866, 
kept the master happy. And then Anna Jones, faithful chambermaid, died 1867, kept the master happier. <laughs> that is weird to me in terms of the phrasing, right? Because first of all, it says faithful chambermaid and kept the master happier, which makes me almost think that is the reason why Martha and Henry uh, argued all the time. Was there some, a little bit of uh, outside of marriage with Miss Anna Jones potentially? Mm-hmm. So that's what that's I think. what it's alluding so, to. So that's what I think is happening here. And then maybe, maybe, again, this is another reach. Maybe that's why Henry is saying, you know, you shouldn't get married because it'll lead to nothing but fights and quarrelsome behavior, you know, and then leading him to be unfaithful. Yep, you're spilling all the tea here. Yeah, no, that it was absolutely that's what they meant by Mm -hmm. that from everything that I've researched was it was to allude that they did not have a good marriage uh, because he was cheating on her. Not good. Not good, Henry. You know, the Jones siblings are actually, they were companions to Melanie growing up too, which also makes it creepy. So it's like, it's it's like all of it's like, Uh. uh, (laughs) um, but that's also like, that's also kind of normal in some way with, um, someone who watches your kids. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so Jasper Jones uh, passed away when his horse was spooked by a rattlesnake and he was thrown off an animal. So that's how he passed away. I don't have information on how Anna did, but uh, she that that tomb of the two siblings, that's where the Goliath, the undead dog, his tomb would have been um, oh, okay. had they kept the Arthur Ravenswood storyline there. So full disclosure, I did not get to see this when I went, which was so sad because it's under it was under renovation so like i didn't even know that it was there (laughs) and i was like so mad later and there's like oh it's on the other side i was like i didn't i couldn't go there it was closed off so anyway so they have this big old black tomb that has like shrouds on it it's like a mausoleum and you hear a heart beating really slowly uh in this one every so often so you know, back before they really firmed up the Melanie storyline, mm. some people said it was maybe the beating heart bride or you yeah. know something like that. Uh, it's now pretty much like people say it's probably Melanie, um, but it's really very mysterious and I think it's meant to be. But what's interesting is this tomb was originally meant for Marie Therese uh, de Bourbon, who was a close friend of the Ravenswood family, who herself was a wealthy socialite from San Francisco. And she came... F- to Thunder Mesa at the behest of Arthur Ravenswood as the sole owner of the Big Thunder Mount, uh, Big Thunder Mining Company following the earthquake which killed his brother. So uh, she provided financial aid for Arthur, who had to deal with all the fallout from the earthquake and uh, try to, you know, put the pieces back together after all of that happened to the town. Um, but she was written out, as was Arthur. She just kind of disappeared. So this became... Instead of hers, it just became this like beating heart, mysterious tomb. So, man, could you imagine that you pay for uh, for the entire town and basically solve their natural disaster uh, resurgence, and then they just throw a giant cloak on you and let your <laughs> heart beat forever? Like, I don't, she got the raw deal on that. <laughs> she sure did. Um. 
do you want to do the hole in the wall hole in the wallet gang no do it i want okay. you to do it so the hole in the wallet gang is uh says so it's from 1892 which is actually 1992 right it was alluding to when this attraction opened it has a big a and s on the top and it says in memory the hole in the wallet gang so these were all the imagineers that worked on this project so i won't list them all here because it's, it's a long list but um it's a that's that's where all they all ended up which i think is funny because the hole in the wallet gang they kept like having to cut things to stay they on budget no money. so <laughs> i thought that was clever yeah. um and then the as at the top if you're wondering is a reference to the british firm ackland snow which we talked about who did a lot of the portrait work inside phantom manor so as ackland snow i have mary murphy and frank ballard but i don't have anything about them i can oh, just I have, read. i have all the things Okay, I like I like that you have things. So, what's cool about um, this one is it will give you a perspective on uh, Boot Hill where things are kind of located. So that hole in the wallet gang is over here, and then we have Mary Murphy, eighteen thirty seven to eighteen fifty nine, next to Frank Ballard, eighteen twenty nine to eighteen fifty nine, and in quotes on Mary's it says, "Till death, dot dot dot, do us part is on Frank's." So, what do you got? Well, I do have the original concept art for it, which uh, shows the portraits there. Um, the photos are actually photographs of employees who worked for uh, Ackland Snow. So that's who those people are, in case you're wondering. And Ma Ballard's quote of being over my dead body is a response, of course, to it's a visual pun, because if you see that she is behind them and they are above her, so they are over her dead body oh. <laughs> so they can be together. So I just think that one's just really clever. I have Leadfoot Fred, which I feel like has to be another Fred Yorger one, but here lies Leadfoot Fred, danced too slow, and now he's dead. And it shows some cowboy boots with holes in them. <laughs> How would you die from getting shot in the ankles and the feet, except for <laughs> bleeding out? That would be it, right? Oh, yeah. It looks like he had quite a few bullet holes, so. Yeah, he did. It's hard to say. Should have went to the barber. He could have gotten fixed up. <laughs> so there's one that says uh, Shorty Smith and then 1862. And that is all it says is Shorty Smith. Okay. Which, I have. I found a picture of it. Okay. So that's the pun in itself is that it's extremely short because it's Shorty Smith. So this might have been inspired by the Julia Shrub tombstone that's outside of Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, which uh, uses a really similar gag. And it says, Julia Shrub, such a good sport when people would tease her for being so. You can't see her because the so short. Yeah, well, it, and it doesn't say short. It just says for being so. And yeah, that's, it's great. That's the joke. Yeah. So, um. This tombstone is actually a tribute to Imagineer Julie Bush, who's a leading landscape designer at Disneyland Park. So the tombstone was added to the graveyard during the 2016 refurb. But there are a little connection there between the two short uh, tombstones. I have Red Hot Harry. He oh, got hot. He got hot, but he was slow. So he got put six feet below. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dakota... Uh, well, hang on. I can't read it. It's in French. It's Dakota Dick, but then it's all oh, in French. Oh, I have the translation. 
hanged October 17th, 1867, shot January 18th, 1868, stabbed December 18th, 1868, poisoned May 21st, 1869. He'll be back. <laughs> so the idea that he's just like keeps coming back. He's like now, he's like the cat with all the lives. <laughs> what's what's interesting about that is when you go into again in the Gazette mentions him and the Gazette physically is from just to refresh your memories is from April 30th, 2019. And at one point the mayor is talking uh to a resident who uh runs into uh, a woman who is walking her dogs and states that she just ran into Dakota Dick. And uh, he was looking specifically, the varmint staggered right on up to me, holding his stomach and asking if Doc Wassel was in town. Could hardly believe my eyes. He didn't look well at all. Says he's been poisoned again. I also have Barroom Benny, who's on some swinging barroom oh, that's cool. doors. Yeah, that's it cool. It says, rest in peace, 1802 to 1866. Rest in peace, Barroom Benny. Seems he took one drink too many. <laughs> that makes sense. I can do the Miners. Yeah. 39ers. So the 39ers. Miners, 39. These, these Miners were told about digging too fast. They lost all their gold in a dynamite blast. And there's a bunch of, there's a pickaxe, a, uh, a shovel, and then below are a couple of bundles of dynamite, sticks of dynamite. Yeah, and so this comes from some old drafts of the Phantom Manum uh, backstory with the earthquake from 1860, which, you know, killed Henry Ravenswood and created uh, Phantom Canyon, uh, was said to have been the result of a TNT blast coming from the mountain. Um, so this is kind of a remnant from the early script that just kind of hung around, but it still makes sense because they're near Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and there's still dynamite tied into all these storylines. So so this one is uh, Jacques Schrillman, and this one is in French. <laughs> he is lynched by a bunch of music lovers. Um, he says a wrong note was his end, May 9th, 1865. So he didn't play the right note and people uh... didn't like it. Oh, and we did uh, B. Arnold. He says, cold is my bed, but oh, I love it. For colder are my friends above it. It's dark. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> um, I also have one that's Shotgun Gus. This Actually, this makes me chuckle. It says, here lies Shotgun Gus, holier now than all of us. <laughs> this little shotgun holes all over it. That's good. I think that's most of those ones. There was one that used to be there, though, that doesn't exist anymore. And that is because of the earthquake that hit Thunder Mesa. A whole bunch of graves fell into the water. Okay. So there used to be these down into the rivers of the west there. So you can see here, there's one that was called um, Peg Leg McBrogue, the river rogue. Walk the plank and sank. The irony of this is that he was peg leg, right? So he, there's river pirates that set up camp down the river. Even six feet underground, he still fell in the water. Like he he kept falling in the water his whole life. So the idea of peg leg, of course, comes from uh, peg leg Pete. If we look back in Disney history, um, I did a little, I went down a mini rabbit hole with this. Um, 
the name of Peach was from the Alice comedies, of course. Um, and Alice solves the puzzle from February of 1925. And he was actually called Bootleg Pete back then. Um, then he was depicted, of course, in Steamboat Willie in 1928 as a captain with a wooden leg. And eventually he lost the wooden leg and grew back his leg and then just had two legs. So that changed over time. But uh, Peg Leg Pete is a, a little nod to that. And River Rogue is actually named after an attraction that is extinct at Disneyland Paris. Because if it looks familiar to you, it's like the Mike Fink keelboats that we Mike used to Fink. Have. The but Finkster. they were called River, Ro River Rogue uh, okay. keelboat attraction that operated until 2010 in Disneyland Paris and no longer operates, uh, likely because if you remember the one in Disneyland actually capsized because it was top heavy. And it took a few years until I want to say it's 2007 when Disney World did away with theirs as well. And, uh, and eventually it made it over to Paris and they just decided it was... Either it was not economical to keep using it, or they're like, hey, all these other ones closed because this maybe is not a safe attraction, and they closed it there too. I have one that's on the ground. Was that Valentine? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, De le desoro say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm reading it upside down and it's in French. I'm terrible. At is it le desoce? Le desoce. We're both wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is saying Olaf the Boneless. I don't know if that's true, oh, but that would be boneless. good. What is it? Ivar the Boneless was a historic uh, like Viking. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I have the words for that. It's the Boneless. Here lie the pieces of a broken man. And okay. so it's really unclear about how he's broken. Why was but, he boneless? <laughs> but the we do see on the bottom the gravestone is broken. Whew, there's a lot of people in here, and they wanted sure. to put more. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah, I don't have any other. That's it. That's all I got. Does that mean we did it? We made it all the way through the Phantom Manor? <laughs> Hopefully you don't feel like you died and uh, were buried here. As... <laughs> this is a long one to finish it, but we had to finish it. Yeah, we were no, so we had close. to wrap it up. Yeah. yeah, no, but this this has been um, really fun series to dig into. The history of this is so intricate. I hate this series because I need to go to Paris now. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize how badly I need to go to Paris just for this attraction and for Big Thunder. Yeah, Big Thunder. I will never see any of the other Big Thunders the same after yeah, going on that know. one. I was like, it's so good. <laughs> It's just so good. As Tony Baxter said, you finally got to get it right. It has spoiled me for all other Big Thunders forever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for this Phantom Manor, I've really enjoyed. I actually, because I've been making content as we've been doing these series on some of the things that we've learned, it's been really interesting that I've had a lot of people react that are were used to the original version. They like the original portraits. They really loved uh, all of the the original storyline or whatever they had for Melanie, and they really dislike the changes that they put yeah. in it. You know, and I think that's true of a lot of Disney things that happen. That people get, you know, very attached to nostalgia. Mm -hmm. You know, and I totally get that. You know, me, I'm coming at it as like, I went to it once like a decade ago, and I barely remember it. And so I don't have that, that strong nostalgic connection. So I really like what they did to it. But 
that's also looking at it from my perspective of I didn't, you know, live in the old version for a long time. And if they updated our, you know, haunted mansion and they took out the Mark Davis portraits, I probably would throw a fit. So, you know, like I, I get it. You know, I get that there are so strong feelings about it and it's okay to have those feelings, <laughs> you know, but it's uh... just express them in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't go into the vortex like Melanie Ravens would. She's <laughs> like floating. She's literally diving. It's like she's sliding to home plate. <laughs> Between that and like what the fandom looks like at that point in the attraction, I was like, what is happening here? I think that's how everybody felt by the end of the attraction. They were like, let's just finish this. <laughs> like we're, we're done. Like I've, I'm done. I'm tired. Well, all right. Shall we wrap it up? Sadly, yes. Yeah, I know this has been a really fun one. This but... is a good one. This is a real good one. I, I, you know, I always enjoy researching and finding new facts about things that are interesting to me or not interesting to me, even more so those ones, uh, because you get an appreciation for something that you probably would have just completely glossed over. And I think that's the beauty of history. That's the beauty of the deep dives is uh, we get to explore the things that usually are not explored. So um, I thought this was another really successful one. And uh, sadly, we all need to book our Parisian trips to experience this now. Yeah, this was this was really fun. I, I'm proud of us for not going 16 episodes into this because we probably could have stretched it <laughs> if we wanted to. I don't know. I, I feel like we covered it enough in three slash four episodes. So I think this is good. I think it's four. I think this is for. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Distory. It's been really fun to go through the Phantom Manor with you guys step by step and talk about the elaborate backstory, all the changes they've made, and really just get to dig into what makes it unique as a haunted mansion slash Phantom Manor. Uh, Kirk, do you have any final thoughts here as we wrap up? If you are trying to get married... And your father doesn't approve. Go somewhere else to get married. Don't stay in the same estate. That's right. You'll Find get stuck a way there out. forever. Yep. And you'll end up in the vortex. And nobody <laughs> wants that. Nobody wants that. But Barry Claude will always be there for you. Yeah. He just can't take a hint. That's true. All right. Thank you, everybody, for being with us for this series. This has been so much fun to do with you guys. And um, we'll be back uh, as we head towards the holidays. We have some really special episodes lined up for some unique holiday things, some that are extinct, and uh, and we'll just dig into those soon. So thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time for Distry. Bye. Bye.